Welcome to episode number 64 of Fresh Monday's podcast. Yes, we are back. And last week we had a great conversation. I think, and we don't like to say favorites. Everyone's our favorite. <laughs> everyone is on top 10 or top five on MySpace for us. We love everyone. Um, but we had like a very intriguing conversation with Aubrey from 365 Meaningful Conversations based out of here in Seattle. Um, and I'm ready to sign up to go join to really check it out. Yeah, for sure. We can't wait until you actually attend and tell us what the experience was like to go into a place where they give you actual options of what kind of conversations you would like to be in and the questions and all that. Just listen to the last episode, guys. It'll make a lot more sense because then you'll realize what it is that we're talking about. This young lady, she kind of created a platform for people to communicate freely and to, you know, break the ice for you. Really cool. Yeah, and it gives a lot more easier way to, to kind of make those conversations kind of smoothly when you have prompted questions. Great conversation, great uh, business, a great plan. And so we love seeing women doing things like that, where the mo- like almost like that shark tank effect, where, wow, where didn't I think about that? Right, like, right, right. Where was I when that was happening? Or, you know, the simple things. Um, so awesome. Thank you again to Aubrey for being a part of the show. We appreciate you. Absolutely. And um, for those of you who have any other really awesome friends that you want to recommend, we've been really fortunate lately that even people have been recommending people to be on the podcast and saying, hey, this might be a great conversation. You should bring them on. They've done this or that. Make sure to hit us up and just contact us at Fresh Mondays Podcast on Instagram or email us at freshmondayspodcast at gmail.com. We love your suggestions and we'll see if we can have them on the show. Yes. And tell us about today's episode, or today's guest, I'm sorry, for the show. Yes. Today is pretty cool because we have another female awesome boss that's going to talk about some awesome female things. She's actually um, a ex-professional basketball player who used to play overseas. Um, Really cool. Um, She used to play for the University of Texas, so shout out to Texas. I know that when people go to universities and your team is like everything. So I'm sure whoever's listening in Texas from the University of Texas, you got one of your alumni here. And a theme that it's March Madness. So we are in college basketball deepness right now. So that goes hand in hand. Still in March Madness. Yes, absolutely. Really cool. And for those of you who've ever had a friend or know someone who's played overseas, it's pretty interesting to see how an American athlete gets to live in another country because of their skills. So that's pretty dope. Um, we're also, her name is Ashley. Um, she actually is a sports tour director for a really cool company that's overseas. And we're going to learn all about it. We're going to bring her on the line and we're going to hear from this powerhouse of a woman. So everybody, welcome Ashley to the podcast. Ashley, introduce yourself to the world and let everyone know who you are and what you do. Hi, uh, my name is Ashley Gale and I am a former basketball player. Um, I'm not standing up right now, but I'm about 6'3", so I've been playing basketball for a very long time. Um, I retired as of a few years ago, and now I'm the sports tour director for a company called New Zealand International Basketball Tours. Um, We host sports tours 
for college teams and elite basketball teams to travel to New Zealand and Australia um, to play games, to explore new cultures. Uh, we've been doing this for a few years and we've been working with top level division one schools. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my, what I'm doing right now. Um, I'm super inspired by YouTube because I'm going to be starting a podcast and doing this is even more inspiration to keep um, planning and formatting. So this is very exciting. And a oh, nice little practice cool. as well. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Thank yes, you. and the podcasting community sticks together. So we, we are excited and we want you to let us know. We'll be more than happy to listen, share, and tell everybody when you're ready. Very cool. Thank you. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. So tell us, how many times have you been to New Zealand and Australia, correct? Those are the two locations you go to? Mm -hmm. How many times have you been? And where are you located now, actually? Um, so right now I'm based in Miami. Um, I've been living in Miami with my husband for about a year and a half now. Um, I actually lived in New Zealand for almost two years. Oh. Um, and I travel back for the tours each year. So I, most recently I was in New Zealand for about a month and a half last July to August um, before I came back. And then uh, I've been, been fortunate enough to been to Australia quite a few times. Um, and then during my professional playing career, I was there for a season um, playing in Sydney, which was my all-time favorite place that I've ever been to. It just How seems cool. so far and so yeah. like luxurious almost to like make it that far, the other side of the world. So that's why I asked like, how many times have you been there? Right. Yeah. The flight even just sounds exhausting. Isn't it like 24 hours to get there? Um, it can be. It's about 18, depending on how your flights are set up. When I came back um, the last time, was it the last time? One of the times I came back and it was about 26 hours of traveling because I had oh. to stop. Um, I flew from Auckland to Sydney, I flew from Christchurch to Sydney, Sydney to Auckland, Auckland to Honolulu, had like a six hour layover, flew from Honolulu to LAX, and then LAX to Vegas, which is where I'm from. So that was probably the most exhausting one, but typically if you plan it out um, a little bit better than I did <laughs> that time, <laughs> um, it's usually about 18 hours, and as long as you keep the down to one or two, you can fly like straight shot out of Houston or LAX, and it's... 18 hours, but you just download movies and a few, you know, albums and sleep right. a little bit. It's not Drink as bad. Benadryl. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I feel <with> Benadryl. <laughs> yes. No, yeah, for sure. Um, well, speaking of, before you even got there, you mentioned you're from Vegas and you ended up playing overseas. Explain that to us. I know you played for the University of Texas. How is it that you tell us about being a female athlete and that whole journey of becoming a, a basketball player here in the States and then being able to play overseas, which is the dream. How did you get there? Um, so I've been playing basketball since whew, um, like fifth grade. Um, and there was a point probably in middle school where I started to play for like a travel team and started to realize that there was opportunities to um, go to college and have your college be paid for um, through basketball, through sports. So once I realized that, um, and sat and like talked with my mom and realized, okay, this is going to kind of decide what high school I'm going to go to because of this ultimate goal of going to college without paying for it, basically. So that was always the goal more so than I want to go to the WNBA or I want to be professional basketball player. It's more, um, how can I get college paid for? So that was, I'm really lucky because some people's parents aren't quite as focused on education. So 
Um, I went to University of Texas and played there for four years and um, was fortunate enough at the end of my career there, was invited to the WNBA to trial out. So I was there for maybe a month um, before I was cut, which was an awesome experience. And then usually um, in the women's basketball world, there are, play, there are players that are playing overseas and then there are players that are playing in the WNBA. Um, but for us, it's a little different than men's basketball where you have to play overseas, even if you're in the WNBA. So that's why our season here, when it comes to the WNBA is in the summer. So it's, it's really different compared to the NBA, which is running right now. It's going to playoffs, NCAAs, which is in playoffs and tournament play right now. Um, for women, in order to make a living, you have to go overseas to play. Um, so it's one of those things that even, even though I didn't make the WNBA team, I knew that was kind of like the that's the next step for women's basketball players is okay you can't go to the D league because we don't have one so um, you start looking for jobs overseas you usually have an agent by that time um, so I went to play in Bulgaria straight out of college um, I was there for um, maybe like nine ish months um, and played out there and that's when you know you transition from going to play in college and pl having basketball be your career so that's a huge um kind of a wake-up call but it's also really cool that something you love has now become your career so i played in bulgaria for a year um and then i met my husband out in bulgaria um oh, wow. which was always like a crazy story when i think about it now that it's been so long. <laughs> um, like because your husband's american too yeah, so right. whenever I tell people that, they think he's from Bulgaria or from okay. some other country. Uh, but he's just from Orlando. He's from up the street. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he had already been playing, and we met each other there. Um, but you know, basically finished out a career, uh, finished out a year there. Um, I really had a really really good season, and um, went to Australia the following year. So I went to Sydney, played in Sydney. Um, I came home. I went home to Vegas about December, um, a month before the season ended, just because my grandma was really sick. And so I just decided it's for the best for me to go home at this point. Um, but yeah, it's it's crazy because I actually retired after that second year. And I was like, you know what? I think I'm, I'm done with it. Basketball's run its course. Um, I majored in kinesiology in college with an emphasis on health promotion. So, and I always wanted to work in corporate health. So um, had a couple jobs in, in Vegas and did personal training and worked for a startup for a little bit. Um, crazy story. The startup um, closed down, the business closed. And I ended up, because of that, I ended up finding out that there was an open position at the job I actually wanted oh, um, nice. in corporate healthcare, working for Cigna, doing health coaching with employees on the strip at casinos and things like that. So um, I did that for almost two years. And then another opportunity to play in New Zealand came up and um, within a month I signed a contract and said, okay, we're moving to New Zealand. So, <laughs> um, you know, that I, I kind of, I, this is the second time I'm retiring and it's officially the last time I'm not going to play anymore, but it's been um, a really fun roller coaster of being able to travel. Um, and I know that for a lot of people, they're like, why did you stop playing? But I wanted I've always wanted to be on the business end of things. So I love playing on the court, but I still like being involved with basketball. Um, 
so yeah, it's cool to still kind of be around the game, but also kind of learn the other side of things. What is it like to like live in New Zealand? If that that's where you live the most time, right? In your yeah, whole career. The longest. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I loved it in New Zealand. The, the only thing about New Zealand was that it was just really, really cold. And I grew up in Vegas, went to school in Texas. I'm in Miami now. So, and my family's Jamaican. So we just love being in, in the heat. Um, yeah. But as far as New Zealand, as, as a country, as a culture, like I love it, which is why I want teams to go there. Um, it's such a rich culture and a very um, honest and genuine little island uh, or two islands of people and um, it's I'm really lucky that I was able to live in Christchurch and be able to work and coach and kind of coach all over the South Island um, but it's just a different feel than living in America or even living in Sydney um, and it's just a different vibe when it comes to the people because they're all very laid back and caring and welcoming and you know it's just a it's an awesome place. So if you get a chance to go, you have to go at least once in your life. <laughs> it's definitely on the bucket list of things, of places yeah. to reach, you know, in that when you talk about that, those hours, though, I just think about going business class or first class because your girl need a stretch. Hey, now. I just imagine you being, <laughs> being as tall as you are. I know yeah. you need a stretch. <laughs> well, see, I've figured out the, I've kind of figured out how to not, pay for business class but still be comfortable work the so system travel, <laughs> show up. Yeah. so usually like when you travel that far especially when you're traveling overseas even like domestically in another country a lot of times the flight attendants will see you and be like oh yeah let me just hook you up so <laughs> <laughs> i like that and then usually if you get on the plane and you're in a bad seat nine times out of ten a flight attendant is going to come over to you like, and say hey let me yeah, we've got an empty seat in the front. Or when you go and check in, you just ask for, like, say, hey, can I have either the front row of seats? And so that's where the most room is because that's where the door is, the mm -hmm. bathroom here, and the bathrooms are huge on those international flights. So you have all this this huge gap of space. So yeah. as long as you're in that front row of economy, you're pretty much, like, in a business class seat without paying for it. <laughs> I've learned that trick also. But I yeah. know for you for sure. It's just you walk up, they see you, and they're like, yes, ma'am. Yeah, we got to make that combination. The leg room. We, we believe you, right? <laughs> yeah, because you can't purchase that online. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nothing, exactly. You can go around that. But it does seem like a, it's definitely a bucket list um, for myself and to go. And then I love hearing your story of how you took a break almost from that basketball and you were able to still have time. Um, and a chance to return back to it. Yeah. So that's I like that's great to know. And so with women's basketball, you were saying that it happens in the seas. In the the seasons kind of over don't overlap each other, so that women have those opportunities. Is that what you were saying? Right. So um, and I don't know. I mean, I'm not too sure if this was done purposefully when they started the WNBA, but the WNBA has always ran in the summertime, um, mm -hmm. and it makes the most sense because there's Basically, women get paid a lot more when they play in other countries. And as sad as that is, um, you know, some of the top players, I think the top player in the WNBA is pay, getting paid about 110000 and that's Diana Taurasi. Um, 110000 and that's for, you know, a four-time, three or four-time Olympian. She's won multiple WNBA championships. She went to UConn. I mean, this would be, and I hate to do the comparison, but to put it into perspective, this is like the LeBron, the Kobe of the women's game, and she's paying yeah, right. 10 grand 
this woman got paid to go play in another country. She got paid to actually sit out a season in the WNBA so that she was fresh for their season. So she got paid like 1.2 million, I think, wow. Russia. Um, but there's a lot of opportunity when it comes to building a, a solid career overseas. Um, and you're able to kind of travel to different countries or there's people that have played in the same country for the same team for six or seven years. So it's a rite of passage. And, and there's a lot of men that play overseas too. There's a lot of women's volleyball players. Uh, women's softball is starting to move to some Asian countries because they get paid really well over there. Um, but, you know, when you're a female athlete, there's, you're always having to kind of um, figure out kind of the back way on how to get, how to create a sustainable lifestyle pretty much where yeah. everybody knows for the guys you can go pro and you can stay here and play home and your family can watch you play. Um, for a lot of us women or for a lot of athletes that travel overseas, I was lucky to have my mom be able to come and come to Bulgaria for two weeks and see me play overseas as a professional. But um, that's pretty much it. Like I've never been able to play in front of my entire family. Yeah. Uh, those are things you have to give up, but in it, in the long term, I think it, you get a bit more world experience when you have to travel and you get put in situations. Like when I was in Bulgaria and I showed up, nobody spoke English. So it was me and one other American player, uh, our entire team spoke Bulgarian, um, our coach definitely didn't speak English. All he knew was yes, no, and beautiful Americans. That's all he knew. Oh, oh my God. So how do they coach you if they if there's a language barrier? So we had a we had a translator, but <sighs> he didn't really know English either. So a lot of the back and forth with her was actually through Facebook. So Facebook is really big overseas. So we would go back and forth on Messenger and um, she'd say, okay, practice tomorrow at 10 a.m. Or practice tomorrow at 6 a.m., beach run at 9 a.m. And we'd figure out, okay, so we have our little tiny little Italian car and we just like drive over to the gym and then practice. So practice is going and, and you start to use other social cues. So, you know, drills pretty much are going to be the same or you're going to be used to kind of figuring out how to run the drill. Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to plays, two, three, once you start to know the numbers, you can figure out what you know, what plays you're running, what defense you're in. Um, but then not knowing the language kind of comes into, into your advantage when like y'all are getting cussed out at the end of the game. That's so interesting. I mean, I wonder why, especially Americans, we're so into sports here. Like mm -hmm. we're like really into it. And it's mm -hmm. surprising that there isn't a, a, a lane for female athletes yet where mm -hmm. there's high paying dollars and there's better endorsements and better... It's just like, it just seems like it should be there by now. I don't know if I'm not well-versed, but it's just like, it's like, it's a cash cow out here to mm -hmm. be involved in sports. Why are we not providing more lucrative opportunities for female athletes? It's just, I don't understand it. Yeah. And you know, I think there's so many layers to peel off with that question. There's so many layers when it comes to female athletes and the, the sports that do get attention and how um, attractive those particular sports are to the male gaze. And, um, you know, is the consumption just, for, for the most part with women's basketball, we have super fans. Like th that's the majority of the people that are gonna come to those games. And with the college teams, the college teams rake, like they sell out games often. 
um, especially like the top eight to 10 teams that are top in attendance, they're selling out games often. Um, but that has, hasn't translated to the WNBA, which is built on, um, you know, kind of using the fandom of certain players that, that have a big name and trying to pull in as opposed to making it kind of advertising it to new people. So I would love to see, you know, somebody know who Brianna Stewart is without having to look it up, similar to how somebody knows Kyrie Irving, but they may not understand what a 2-3 zone is. So trying to, for me, I, from my opinion, I think it has a lot to do with marketing. I think it has a lot to do with, um, you know, marketing. <laughs> That's <laughs> a huge part of it. Um, and figuring out, I think there's a niche for everybody and, and there's, there's an area of profit that you can, that you can find for any type of business. It's just a matter of finding it. And, you know, women's basketball and the WNBA particularly, I think it has a long way to go. Um, they've done well the past few years and they've increased like the views on, on Twitter, as far as live streaming the games, which has been a new way to get people to come watch the games without being there. Um, and you know, those, that opens lanes for sponsorship and exposure and things like that. Um, but I just think there's so far to go and I'm never opposed to, you know, for them to work with, a, with an NBA team. Cause that's kind of how the WNBA first started is they were kind of pairing them up as far as I know. Um, and then they've gone away from that. And I think that takes away the potential to get some of those people that love going to the NBA games and might love a WNBA game, but they never, they never know. They never know when the right. game is on and things like that. So there's a, there's a lot to be done. And I think just respect for women's sports, particularly women's sports that are dominated by men. So everybody loves the gymnastics and everybody loves the beach volleyball because they're no, no shade to beach volleyball players. They're incredible athletes, but they're in, you know, they're, they're, they're half naked. They're half naked. And mm -hmm. so, that's why they're able to come, they're able to take advantage of the sponsorship because there's so many men watching, you know, right. you look at the commercials run during those particular games. They're like Gillette shaving and mm -hmm. it's for men, you know? Right. Um, right. And it's, I think it's hard and there's a lot of stereotypes that, that come with playing women's basketball or playing women's softball or playing sports that are dominated by men. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's crazy to me that people even knowing that I play professional basketball and I've had a long career and like broken records and things like that, men will still come up to me and be like, you can't beat me. <laughs> like you, <laughs> what? Oh, <laughs> because my. I am a female. That's it. They never go to my husband who's about six, nine, two seventy, and say, you can't beat me. That, that never happens. Mm -hmm. But it's always interesting that even if you look at some of the WNBA players on Twitter, the, the guys are still talking mess in the, in the timelines. And I'm like, these are some of the greatest athletes right. in the world. But because you're a woman, you're seen as like, Oh, there's women out there that are dunking. There's high school players, 14, 15 year old girls that are out there dunking off of two mm -hmm. feet in, in warmups, but guys will still look at it as, well, she's a girl. So that's another huge piece. Like at some point, I'm not sure how we begin to tackle that, but just. I mean, do you think that there should be a co-ed professional level of basketball? 
There actually is, and it was started about a year or two ago by Master P. And so he started mixed gender, bas mixed gender basketball, I think it's called. And um, there's, I think, four or five teams. So Tiny Harris, T.I.'s wife, she owns a team. I think Trina owns a team. Um, Master P owns a team, and there's one more owner. But it's WNBA players, NBA players, some overseas players sprinkled in. And um, they, they, they just started, but they have a league that runs every year and they travel. So, um, and he's, he's really big on saying like, look, these women can play just as well as the men. Let's put them and give them an opportunity to, to succeed and to make money together. So that's a, that's a new wave that's kind of come along. So I'm hoping that it'll catch some traction and more teams will, you know, start to be formed and stuff. But um, it's, it's definitely needed and, and things like even all-star games and stuff. I wish that they would just at least feature the women or involve them in, in some way. They, yeah. I, get, I was just going to say, because WNBA doesn't have an all-star game, do they? Like how they have yes, they have an all-star game, but again, it's, it's in this weird part of the year. I think it's in end of August, beginning of September, where the, um, just before the playoffs and stuff. Gotcha. So you have all the kids that are in school, and I'm big on getting kids to games because kids, once they see a game, they're hooked. They're there they, all the time afterwards, Exactly, yeah. exactly. We'd have kids' games. Um, we'd have specific days when I was in college where we invite kids, and pretty much all schools, all colleges will do this. But they invited, you know, nine or ten schools, and they made it kind of like a spirit competition. So all the kids would come all dressed up. And that was when we'd have like 5,000 people in the stadium because there's just a massive amount of kids going nuts. Like our ears would be ringing after the games because the kids were just like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. <laughs> so, cool. so yeah, I think there's just a lot of work to be done because, you know, I kind of feel bad because some of the greater players are kind of aging out of the game and going into coaching or business. And some people will just never even know about them because right. they haven't had the exposure. What about like girls who are afraid of being labeled as a lesbian because mm -hmm. they think that boys are not going to like them because they're athletic or, you know, un unfortunately the stigma is that girls that play ball are gay. Yeah. And, and we know that's not true. Like everyone can play ball. This has nothing to do with your sexuality. So exactly. like what, what kind of advice would you give a girl since you were an athlete and you're married mm -hmm. and you're heterosexual? Mm -hmm. Like, how do you combat that stereotype? You know what I mean? Like, it's it's like it's okay to be feminine like i've seen you in person i've hung out with you and i've had the pleasure of doing that and you're a very feminine girl this girl be wearing heels girl like you see yeah. she's six four marley she's wearing the heels so <laughs> i feel like you i'm five feet five one so you would have to sit in far distances from me really, not be in this picture next to each other you just gotta wear like the the eight inch heels eight inch heels to catch up no i fall over <laughs> Well, that's I mean, like you're still feminine, even though you're an athlete. And I think that's a, that's a really good question. And that's something that I've even heard parents, like I've worked with people and I've heard parents say, I don't want my kid, I don't want my little girl to play softball because she might be gay. Like she might get turned out. Or I don't want my kid to play basketball. You better not be messing around with them basketball girls. And my, my perspective has always been, if you're gay, you're going to be gay, mm -hmm. no matter what sport that you're involved in. If you're straight, you're going to be straight. Now people have, they experiment and that's going to, but that to me is going to happen whether or not you're in basketball um, or, or softball or whatever, you know, whatever sport it is. Um, Any profession. 
any profession. Any profession, right. Exactly. But I think that <clears throat> for a little girl that's like looking at maybe playing basketball or maybe quitting the team because, well, a lot of the girls on the team are gay, so I don't want to be associated with them. You've got to have a confidence in yourself to know, you know, I'm, A, I'm comfortable being around people that are different. That's the biggest piece, right? So if you yourself are uncomfortable around people that are different or people that are not like you, or maybe somebody that is sparking something in you that you've kind of been hiding because your parents may be homophobic or may not have any gay friends. And maybe being around this group of people has made you be more comfortable to be yourself. And that's scary. That's a scary thing for a kid in middle school or high school to go through. Um, But it's just having a confidence in, in being yourself and understanding that there's nothing wrong with being gay. There's nothing wrong with being part of the LGBT community and you can support them. You can stand next to somebody that's gay and people are going to assume that you're gay. That's a thing that's going to happen. You just have to be comfortable enough in yourself to say, well, I'm not. You have your opinion. If that's what you think about me, then cool. Like I had football players coming up to me freshman year of college. Like I'm all excited and we're in class and they come up to me after after school, after like a class. So you gay too? No, I'm not. Oh, you sure? But you're too- <laughs> well, yeah, she's gay, but I'm not. Like you can either take it or you can leave it. Yeah. So you got to you got to build a little grit behind you to to be able to get to that point. But ultimately, it's a it's just people being nosy because that's not something that you should be asking anybody anyways. And B it's just being comfortable with who you are and and having a respect for people that that argue like I one thing I'm really happy that women's basketball does is create an environment that is is very accepting of people and some people look at it from the other perspective like all those basketball girls are all gay but I look at it as there are tons of people in the world that are gay people that I used to think I had a good gaydar and I try not to use that term anymore because I've seen my teammates date women where I'm like I had no clue like right. absolutely no clue so basketball makes it, um, it's a welcoming community um, for anybody, pretty much. And so I'm proud that that's, that that's the way basketball is. And it's sad that people look at it from the other perspective because there are guys in the NBA that are gay. There are guys in the NFL that are gay. You know, there are guys, I'm sure there are guys on the college basketball team or football team or swim team that were gay when I was in college. And, but it's not a comfortable environment for them to be themselves it's not an open space for them to be themselves exactly exactly it hasn't been made into that open space where they can be exactly Um, because unfortunately people still associate gay with not being strong when it comes to the male gender which mm -hmm. is bizarre you know what i mean like so that we still have to overcome that as a society because gay or straight someone can still kick your ass regardless (laughs) it doesn't matter exactly and it's it's the same thing you know on the flip side with women people associate women who are gay particularly women who are kind of like butch presenting who who seem to be a little bit more masculine in the way they dress or maybe they got a shaved head or something like that they're looked at as too strong or they're too masculine Mm -hmm. you know some of the most like soft gentle people i know are some of the most butch women that I've played with and they are some of the most emotional people that you will ever meet yeah but just in the way that they present themselves and there's a stereotype that that goes with it like people are just human beings 
that's it they come with a range of emotions and you know but it's i hope at one point we can get to a point where people don't feel like they have to kind of either live a lie or look at other people and kind of judge them based on you know what they look like or or sexuality should have nothing to do with professionalism and we should get to that point yeah exactly exactly so i i wanted to dabble back into the pay kind of gap that there is within the two spectrums that is the males um athlete and then the women athlete and to think of how you play through college you play super hard through college and don't get paid through college other than the scholarship and that's understood and i know that's a big debate whether Mm -hmm. these students should be paid or at least paid out at the end of the i think you should be paid out by the graduation day mm-hmm. not only you're given your diploma but you're given this payout because your names are on these jerseys that are being sold right. at these stores and these right. people can't you specifically right this university specifically so there's all these layers mm-hmm. and i find it difficult that women in particularly mm-hmm. in these sports work super hard dedicated put all their energy into it to go professionally mm-hmm. and still ends up not being paid Mm-hmm. that same aspect that a male professional athlete would be because mm-hmm. you're getting paid so i know that some women are like at sixty thousand a year yeah right and you think about that that is a low level entry job somewhere or like a oh. level job like at an mm-hmm. office desk right and you don't put mm-hmm. that same not to say we don't put the same energy in those corporate jobs but do you think that in the long run I know you have to do advertising on top of that. Do you think that in the long run, like the debate now talk about paying college students, do you think that's going to change in the coming years? Do you think that's something people are going to be open to or Um, like see that happen? I think it's going to happen. I think it's just trying. I think it's going to happen soon, probably within in the next five years because they're, it's it's gotten to a point, especially with social media and the limitations that that are on college athletes. On you know what, you can't um, sign your jersey and sell it. You can't exchange any of your gear for money. You can't go to speak at a kid's banquet and get paid for it because you're representing the university. Um, and those things it has to change and this has been something that um particularly i think it's called the the it's basically the players union for ncaa so even when i was in school i like i was in at texas from 08 to 2012 and there we were already you know getting males as athletes getting uh pieces of mail as athletes saying this is what the union is fighting for this year and and every year was always for athletes to get some type of compensation and, you know, some people argue, well, not every school is going to make a ton of money. Not every school is going to have a Zion. Yes. You know who that is. Um, not every school is going to ever sell out a game. Like there are some schools that are just terrible or they're just in a weird area where basketball isn't, you know, popping. But if I think that at some point you have to realize when the coach is getting paid a mill or a few mil mm-hmm. just in salary not in endorsements not in you know not outside of that and that fluctuates based on an athlete's performance you have to give the athlete some credit like literally from the starting you know the the big time 
player that's on your team all the way down to the bench because everybody's participating in practice. Everybody's participating in the game. If only your superstar shows up and the other 10 people are on the bench, you're going to lose the game. So you, you have to take into account all of those athletes play a part in your salary. All those athletes play a part in the Nike sponsorships, the Under Armour sponsorships. And with this year, I don't know if you guys know who Zion Williamson is. He plays for Duke. He's like pretty much the next LeBron. Like he's an incredible athlete, an amazing kid. Just Mm -hmm. like it's unreal what he's doing in college basketball. And he's been kind of named the most interesting player of the like in college basketball this year. Um, Duke, who's the school that he plays for, just signed, just renewed their contract with Nike for an obscene amount of money. And it's all based on, you know, Zion got hurt, then he started playing again. And on his game, on on the, the game he came back, he was like 13 for 13, which nobody does. And Nike contract is signed. So for the university, not for him. For the, yeah, right, for right, the right. University to the university. So didn't his shoe break? Also, his Nike shoe. Nike shoe broke. Yeah, that's in his foot. That's the like, kid that yeah Nike sent like their team of shoe engineers the next night and fixed up his shoe. But how much promo is that? Like yeah. the Nike shoe broke and like they sent their you know best and Nike shoemakers out there and now there's the I mean that that in itself is is a whole. <laughs> yeah. That's a, probably another shoe that they can let out in the summer. Like, oh, the Zion, I don't know. By the time he gets out of college and sign him a, a, a contract. By the time he gets picked up, he gets a contract, a Nike contract right out like that. Exactly. If, for but what you, we know, next year he'll have one. Yeah, oh yeah, he probably already has one in the works, you know, that he doesn't know about. But it's they're writing up a contract based on every game that he plays. But yeah, at, at some point you got to look. And even when I was at Texas, I would go in there and like see um, – like Kevin Durant's jersey. I would see Colt McCoy's jersey. Who's, I think he plays for the Browns or something right now. But you see all these guys that you go to school with or you've met before or that went to your school and they're still selling their jersey, but they're actually not making any money off of what they're selling. Even when you go pro, you don't make money off of that because wow. every year when you sign your student athlete contract, you say you relinquish all rights to your namesake, you, everything you do is for the university. So wow. even um, Dick Vitale, I don't know if you guys follow like NBA announcers and stuff like that, but Dick Vitale has been announced. I mean, he's like super famous. Like this guy's been doing it forever. Yeah, like big time. And so for Dick Vitale, he's, he actually said during the Duke game the other day, he said he, and it was crazy when he was saying it, he basically said there's there's no way that student athletes should not should should continue to not get paid like they have to get money and he used zion as an example he's just like look look at how much attention he's bringing and he cannot make a dime until he leaves not just him but everybody else on the new team because they're yeah it's the whole team that they're pushing but they can't make a dime off of this and they just said you know sign a multi-million dollar contract and it's just at some point, I think that you should at least be able to, you know, if, if a school wants you to come do a camp for them, you should be able to do that and make money off of that. If the school wants you to come to their year-end banquet and speak to their kids for a grand or $200, let's say you're not Zion, but you're, you know, the, you're coming off the bench at the five position, mm-hmm. you should still be able to go and make 500 bucks going and speaking. Yeah, that's what I think yeah. about. It's like the whole other team 
Because what's the percentage of actually making it to professional, to be a professional athlete in both women and men? So when you graduate college, Mm -hmm. if you're a woman who, you know, ended up from going college basketball to professional basketball, you're Mm -hmm. making the same amount you would have been making out on a regular, with using your degree to a a usual position or job or using that degree. That kind of doesn't encourage you to kind of keep pushing forward. And so if you were to make money for mm-hmm. all that work that you've done and put in during your four years, yeah. right? Because you're using your body, you're wearing down your body, you guys are putting mm-hmm. all that in. You know, that has a different aspect to it. And, and you're giving the school fame. Like the reason Duke is Duke, aside from being a great school, is they've always had a crazy great basketball team. Yeah. And everybody knows that. Just like mm-hmm. North Carolina, just like all these other colleges that you're just like, everybody knows that they always had a great college team. And yeah. people go to that school because of because those things. Of people sponsor those schools people donate to those schools because they want to be a part of the legacy of those schools so these mm-hmm. athletes are keeping these schools alive so yeah. in a sense i totally get what you're saying it's like they may not make it to professional basketball because the odds are the odds it is what it yeah. is numbers yeah. are numbers exactly. so it's like at least while i'm here and i'm making your school profitable mm-hmm. you feel me like we should gain something from that and i see where you're coming from i see yeah. where you're coming from i think there should be and a I didn't at know, the end when you yeah leave. i didn't know about the jersey thing like that's wild like that's oh, yeah. why like you're wearing my last name on the Out shirt on the street and i yeah. don't have anything to do with it that's a yeah. little insane yeah and it's and those are the those two guys i named those are guys that are big in their in the professional field now there's still guys that maybe played overseas or maybe they played in the nba for a couple of years and then went over and played overseas or even women that are that are from those schools volleyball players basketball players soccer players that might have had a big name and they're still got their stuff in, in the, in the co-op. And, you know, can you imagine you're going and like looking for jobs and like, maybe you can't find a job. So you're just like working at Starbucks until you can get to where you go and you go to your university's co-op and your name is on the Jersey and you're like, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, so it's, I, I don't know. I hope it will change. I think it's when it changes, it's going to be really important on how they, um, structure because what you don't want is then I don't know it's you don't want to ruin the integrity of the game which you don't want it to kind of end up like I don't want to say like the NBA but you you want to still keep like everybody loves college sports because every the kids play with so much heart because they know maybe one person will go professionally maybe maybe yeah. a couple others will go overseas but, and then for a lot of schools, there's 300 and 340-ish Division One schools. Maybe one of them per team might go overseas, but probably for the other 200, nobody's going overseas. They're yeah. just going to go work the next job. Um, yeah. Maybe they go overseas for a couple of years like I did and then come home and work a job. So, you know, to have a pot at the end, like you're saying, or you, you want to make sure that you don't kind of lose the integrity of the game because everybody plays with so much heart because they know this is it. Like once I get to my fourth year, this is it. Yeah. Right. I think it definitely needs to be something that is after you've done everything, after you've received that diploma, because again, you are being covered in your, your, um, through scholarship through that. That's understood. And we know that's a value in itself, that diploma. Yeah. In retrospect. But after all of that, I think there needs to be something at the end of the tunnel. Once you Maybe they wait a year, another year, or something like that. But you deserve something 
for all that work that you put in in my yeah. retrospective yeah. or even sure. now like an athlete like yourself um that was able to find a way to find a profession that mm -hmm. kind of tied your two loves together tell us a little bit about the company that you work with and how that all came about right so um when i was in new zealand the the um company that sponsored us the guy that basically runs that particular company and kind of like the hub of companies that sit under that um so he basically ran the team that i played for when i was in new zealand when i was in christchurch and um so with his company called Alleyful, which is a commercial furniture chair company, it's global, they work in different markets. Um, that company sits under a bigger company called Pathway, which is a charitable trust. So Pathway is a charity based in New Zealand um, that helps people coming out of prison to um, basically settle back into society with a new job. Um, so job placements, counseling, retreat center, um, and then there's another piece of it called Oak Tree, which is um, a labor uh, hiring, basically labor sourcing job where they go and they actually place um, these guys that are coming out of prison or women, which they're trying to focus on now, that are coming out of prison with opportunities. And it could be like a two week contract or maybe you finish your two week contract and you move into a month. But the whole goal of Pathway is to give people a fresh start and to try to reduce recidivism and try to just help people get back into the swing of things, you know, after being in prison for a short stint, it could be 10 years, it could be, you know, a month, whatever it may be, um, because I'm sure you guys are probably aware of the system that we have here is very broken and it's crazy, but for New Zealand to be so small, they're actually at the top of like per capita, how many people are in prison. So that's a big fuel as to why Pathway was created. Um, so Pathway is like this, is the top, the big dog. That's the charity. So there's different pieces to Pathways. There's a chair furniture company, there's Oak Tree, there's um, a Fousey, which is based in Australia. And they were looking to add another social enterprise. And I had been talking to um, the president about different ideas that I've had. Um, and so I kept kind of talking about like, why aren't there teams touring here? How many teams have you guys had? How many college teams have you guys had tour here? Well, maybe one or two. I'm just like, this is insane. Like you guys have amazing basketball players that are playing here that aren't getting enough exposure. Um, you're right next to Australia, which is a hub. Like Lauren Jackson, Liz Cambage are some of the biggest basketball players in the world and they come from Australia. So I'm just like putting two and two together in my head. Like it only makes sense. Why don't you get college teams to come out here? And so he finally said, well, you need to put together some type, of, some type of plan, like write everything down and we'll meet. And so this is probably like six months after coming up with this. And then I was also kind of thinking, well, I'm sitting here, I'm here, I'm playing, I'm coaching, I'm running my own camps. At some point, I don't want to be playing anymore. How can I kind of set myself up? We still want to live overseas and I want to be involved with basketball. So it kind of like was a good the puzzle pieces just fit. So um, met with him and went through everything one morning and what potential costs would be. And he said, okay, I'm gonna take this to the board because I like this idea. It's, it's something we could do. And the board approved it. And so I don't, so when people will say, well, do you own the company? I don't own the company, but the com I run this company that sits under a hub for a charity. 
So that's probably the best I can explain it. <laughs> um, but with, with New Zealand International Basketball Tour, so we um, focus on um, bringing the best basketball teams, elite basketball teams to New Zealand and Australia. And we uh, also focus on creating uh, an opportunity to get exposure for those kids in New Zealand and Australia, particularly in New Zealand because it, the basketball structure is not as developed as it is here or even in Australia. So those were like the two main focuses. And of course, the third focus is to create a, a source, of, an extra source of profit for the charity. Um, so what we do is we bring these teams out 10 to 12 day tours. Um, we set them up. We basically organize, and I say we, but it's me. So I basically <laughs> organize you everything. The we. <laughs> hotels to airfare to um, transportation to activities. So we have really good relationships with different vendors in different cities in New Zealand and in Australia. Um, and so we also um, host the event. So when it comes to organizing the games and organizing the live streaming and things like that, it's just a all-inclusive package that they get whenever they come on a tour with us. Um, and then a lot of times teams will bring their fans. So this past year we worked with the University of Hawaii um, and they, bought, they brought about 15 fans slash family with them. So that's a whole nother tour in of itself. They've got a separate itinerary. Um, usually separate transportation and uh, it's just a lot of fun because you get to see the you get to see the coaches and the players relax and you know a lot of them aren't on their phones and so it's a great opportunity for team bonding um, they get put into like really fun situations where the, the coaches can kind of spot the leaders in the group so when they do stuff like zip lining or um, you know maybe they're they're walking to a particular area and they kind of see okay which player is taking the lead in this like which players are making sure that the other kids are okay like who's remembering what we were supposed to be doing at three o'clock today like who's rounding the kids so it's it's a good opportunity for the teams to bond and um really learn more about their team um and then just kind of get a chance to get away and go to another country learn about another culture and then play against professional, semi-professional teams, um, all-star teams that are from other places. But it's just a well, it, it gives you a well-rounded experience and it helps kind of propel you into that season. So it's got a plus for everybody involved. And what does it take for a team to be able to participate in this? So with teams, um, right now we've, we've mainly been working with Division One teams, but I'm working on opening that up to Division Two, Division Three. For if a team wanted to travel, they would just need to contact me and or go to the website www.nzibt.org. Um, but usually you can travel once every four years, so definitely check your schedule, make sure to see when your la when's the last time that you traveled, um, and then basically get the ball rolling. We start to figure out what exactly works for your team. So we have preset packages, but a lot of times we start there and then we customize it based on what your team needs, the schedule that you're looking for. Do you want it more basketball based? Do you want it um, just play maybe two or three games and fo really focus on team bonding? Maybe you have a whole bunch of freshmen coming in or maybe you have three or four players that were hurt the whole last year so they weren't really involved in team activities. So you want to focus it more on that as opposed to you know, 
only on playing, you know, five or six games or something like that. So, yeah. I think that's awesome. And so you'll be there with, you're with them also when, when they're doing this traveling, kind of guiding them along. Yeah. So I travel with the team. So I'll usually get to New Zealand about two weeks before just to make sure everything else on the ground is, is going right. And then um, there'll be another NZIBT representative with me, usually my assistant. Um, and then if there's a separate group of fans, there'll be a specific tour guide for them. Um, so, yeah. I love this. I love what you're doing and kind of making sure that all the other, because this is for college athletes, correct? Mm -hmm. Mostly for that, are open to different um, opportunities, options, and things like that they'll see in other countries and then as well as the team bonding. And they have like a taste of what it would be like if they actually got to play overseas. Like, you know, it's at least like exposure and understanding Mm -hmm. that there's another world out there. That's pretty cool. What's like the most fun excursion? that you can do in New Zealand for those of us who want to just go out there. I know, right? (laughs) Um, My favorite is, uh, so there's this island. So there's this island off of the coast of Auckland and you can get there by ferry. It takes about 30 minutes to get there. Um, It's called Wahiki Island. And this is just like this little small cute island. And it actually has a rainforest in the middle of it that is like thousands of years old. So the Maori people, which are the native people of New Zealand, um, used to, of course, they were all over New Zealand, but in particular, you can go zip lining through this rainforest, which is awesome. So there's like three zip lines you go through and they get faster and faster with each one that you go through. And then you have a nature hike on the way up and you're literally sitting under this like massive rainforest. So you can barely see the sun, like it's just, trees everywhere and then you learn about um like the the way that the Maori people lived before Europeans showed up and colonization happened and all of that so that is my favorite thing because it combines learning about the history and learning about the native people of New Zealand but also it's just a lot of fun like you're flying through the through the zip line and you're going two people at a time down two zip lines so they're usually racing each other down the zip line so that's one place you have to go, and there's a little town called Aniroa, which is like a 15-minute drive down from the zip line, and there's like shopping and art galleries, and you can go paddleboarding and jet skiing, and it's right on the beach. Like, it's just stunning. When you get a chance, look up Waiheke Island, W-A-I-H-E-K-E Island, and it's amazing. That's, that, you have to go there if you're going to go there. Well, now I know who to hit up when, once I figure out the plan of how I'm going to get to New Zealand or Australia. (laughs) Again, that flight. (laughs) I need rest stops. I promise you. No, I'll need rest stops. You got to take off two weeks of work. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like a commitment. Like, yeah, it's like, it takes time. Yeah. No, it's definitely one of those you need, you need a day when you land. Exactly. To figure yourself, your clock Mm -hmm. out. And then you need a two or three days back. To put yourself back in order. Like yeah, that's what the, that kind of trip is like. Definitely. It's almost like when you get there, you know, for the teams, it's a bit different because they're there for a small amount of time. Mm-hmm. We get them going that next morning and always talk to the coaches about how um, different suggestions on how to um, tweak the, the player, tweak everybody's sleeping schedule like a day or two before mm-hmm. and on the plane, like make sure you wake them up for this amount of time. That way, when they're there, we get them up. If they arrive the night before, we're up at 8 a.m. because we've got to get them on that time zone as soon as possible. 
But if you're just going for leisure, you're going to have fun, I still suggest doing that, but you're going to sleep for about 14 hours. It happens every time I go back and forth <laughs> because your body is just like, what just happened? Right. Your body right. is like, I do not like you today. <laughs> yeah. For the plane ride is fine. It's really sleeping and you're like, oh, it's the next day. It's like, mm-hmm. ah, <laughs> next day. Yeah. It's interesting. It's an interesting feeling that your body goes through for sure. Yeah. So shout out to all of our uh, listeners and let them know how to find you on your Instagram or all your social handles. Um, Also, again, give out the website for the program if they're interested or want more details. Definitely. So the um, Instagram for New Zealand International Basketball Tours is at NZIBT. Um, Our Twitter handle is at NZIBT underscore 2017. Um, you can definitely visit us at our website, uh, www.nzibt.org. Um, all of my contact information is there if you're interested, even if you're not a college team, if you have a high school team, or maybe you've got just a rec team and you guys think it would be fun to travel, um, definitely let me know, hit me up, and I'd be happy to send through some packages and kind of talk you through it. But yeah. Awesome. Very cool. Now, what advice would you give to anyone who has a big idea mm-hmm. and has that contact with a person that owns a company and just like you did like you you went for it and you said look I have an idea and I think it's great and now look it's a business what Mm -hmm. advice would you give a person that has that contact and has that idea and how to overcome the fear what advice would you give them um you know if you have that idea and you're passionate about it like make sure something you're passionate about it and and start to make notes start to look at the market look at are there any, is there anybody else doing what you want to do? If so, what are they doing? What are they charging? What type of services are they providing? What's the feedback? Do people really like what they're doing? Are they the number one person or the number one company in that arena? Um, Or is this a brand new niche that nobody really has ventured into? And um, do do your research, um, talk it through with that particular person. I was really lucky enough to where um, like his daughter was on our, development team and so he was always around and he was the main one that coordinated Steven and I moving out there so I had a good enough relationship with him where I felt comfortable beforehand to just kind of you know go back and forth and just kind of say hey from this standpoint what do you think like do you think this would work is this something that you guys would be interested in um so there was probably five or six conversations of just, you know, I see this gap here, this is an amazing place, or this this could be potentially a way to do this, but th- it was months in the making, and then actually sitting down and saying, okay, if this is an idea that, that might work for both of us, let's sit down and do it, but what's the worst that's going to happen? It's kind of like with, with basketball, what's the worst that's going to happen? You're going to miss a shot, and then you just right. try, so go for it, like have your idea, even if it's not fully developed, I'm a bit of a perfectionist, so sometimes I have to remind myself, sometimes even when ideas aren't fully developed, it's still good to kind of brainstorm, pick somebody else's brain and, you know, follow people in the industry, find their Instagram, sign up for their subscription stuff, and just um, do as much research as, research as you can, but just go for it. Like, you just got to jump into it, because if you never jump into it and you spend too much time thinking about it, it's not going to happen and somebody else is going to do it. There you go. So shoot your shot, everybody. Shoot your yeah, shot. Shoot your shot. <laughs> I'm not talking about in the DMs. <laughs> <laughs> but 
But thank you so much, Ashley. You are a sweetheart. Oh, one more question for Ashley. Since we are in March Madness and we were talking college basketball and you have a history with that, what is your top bracket or like your winning team? Do you have one? Okay. Um, So I've got Duke taking it all. Okay. The men's side. On the women's side, my team lost yesterday or on Friday. So this is a little soft spot because they were my top team. Um, I really like uh, outside of Texas because if Texas was in, was winning, what had won on on Friday, they would be my number one. But I really like um, South Carolina. I really love what they've done with their program. Like, and their coach is awesome. She's hilarious, and she's also super inspirational. Um, so I like them. Man, that might be my favorite for this year. Um, so I'd probably say Duke on the men's side, South Carolina on the women's side. But yeah, it's going to be, it's, it's interesting this year because there's not a lot of Cinderella's on either side. So it, I'm curious to see what happens. Over How it turns year. out. Yeah, I'm going to the final four for the women in, um, in Tampa in a few weeks. So I'm excited to see what happens there. Nice. All right. Well, there you have it, guys. Well, if you didn't do your bracket already, you're kind of late, but. <laughs> There's still some last minute bets, you know. Some I mean? last minute bets are put in there, I guess. But there you go. You have it. Thank you again, Ashley, for being on the show. We appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me. <coughs> Sorry. Absolutely. And keep us posted on your podcast. Yes, I will. I got to yes, shoot my shirt. Sure. Get it done. There you go. <laughs> That's a great name right there. It Super is. Sure. I know. I had another name, but it's good. Okay. <laughs> I think we have a winner. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, Ashley. It was, we really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And good luck to you guys. I know you guys are doing big things. So um, keep going. You guys are super inspirational. So, oh, thanks. Thank you. I'm excited it. to be a part of this, you know, this um, very cool ecosystem yes. that is podcasters. We're yes. podcasters. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you, my love. We'll talk soon. Bye. Bye. So yeah, it was so cool having Ashley and it was really cool. She was our first female athlete. I love that. That was like, because you never really think, like you hear about all these things with college athletes and women athletes um, and the unfair pay gap. Like that's a real world thing. Like you think about just women pay gaps, like we talk about the corporate side, but think about these athletes who put their body physically into something and not getting paid and then how much they get paid in the WNBA compared to like the the NBA. And why does the rest of the world see more value in it than we do? What is that? Right. And as Americans, we usually see a lot of value in our own, right? Mm -hmm. Like you want to put that American dollar into everything, everything. Why is it that internationally? Yeah. I've never thought about it in that sense. So it's real, you know, hopefully those things change. Right. And we start focusing a little bit more on these women athletes who are here, who are amazing. Absolutely. And shout out to Seattle Storm puts that, maybe because I live in a city, like a mm-hmm. center hub city, that stuff is everywhere. All the women's soccer and the women's basketball team is plastered throughout this entire city throughout the season. That's awesome. I'm happy to hear that. So I think when you live more in a city hub, you'll see it more. Maybe you yourself will see it more. In, well, does Miami have a women's team? Yes. No, they don't, but New York does. New York Liberty. Yeah, they did have the um, the women's NBA team. And I'm not saying that it was like super popular, but it was relevant. You know what I'm saying? Like people yes. knew of the games, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. Yeah. And we all know Lisa Leslie. 
Exactly. <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> right. Who doesn't? That's where you grow up with the, the Olympic women athletics. That's where she yeah. originally kicked off from. So it's, I mean, it's a great conversation. She was wonderful to have on. Um, and hopefully these athletes start getting recognized. And shout out to tall time. girls. Shout out to the tall girls. Why Super not? Super tall girls. <laughs> yes. Still put on their heels and are out here giving it to you. Yes. Doesn't and matter. for all you tall girls out there, there's tall guys out there. Her man is 6'9", ladies and gentlemen. That is beautiful. I love when tall people are together. Like, they yeah. must have saw each other and said like, oh. <laughs> like, that must have been the moment they saw each other. It must have been like, this is the perfect match. That's beautiful. That's yeah. absolutely beautiful. Um, and now it is time for our recommendations of the week. Diana, what do you got for us? Well, since our conversation was international, I'm going to keep it international. Um, a little secret about me. I really enjoy watching foreign shows on Netflix. That's okay. like something I, I don't know. I've, it's, I've gotten very into it. I like to watch a lot of shows from Spain, particularly. I think that their, their shows are actually super well written. They have great scripts. Um, even last year when I was recommending Casa de Papel, which is Money Heist, I love that show. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen a bunch of them. I've seen a few shows from Colombia and I like Spanish. I feel like it, it also allows me to sharpen my Spanish because you know mm-hmm. that once you are around it more, you kind of keep the skill alive. And, I, and I, it's one of my priorities to continue to speak Spanish at a high level because it's a tool and I know how powerful it is to be bilingual. Mm-hmm. So I make an effort to do whatever I can to allow myself to keep it fresh in my mind because at the end of the day, this is the United States. And unless you live in Miami or like in Washington Heights or California, you know, like you're not going to be around Spanish. So it's like, yeah, it's nice to like, kind of just keep your ear. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? So I like it for that reason as well. For those of you who want to kind of don't know how to keep the Spanish alive. That's a little tip that I'll give. But with that being said, there is a show on Netflix called Made in Mexico. It is a reality show. It is literally the hills, Marley. It is the hills. Okay. It is the hills in Spanish already. And I'm like, this is perfect. Like, this is like, I don't know how to explain it. Like there's a, this is charm about the hills that really mm-hmm. resonated with our generation. Yeah. Really enjoyed that reality show. Yeah. And this show is like, what's reminded me the most to it. They're very, very, very rich Mexican kids. that live in Mexico city. Mm-hmm. And like, they're just basically sharing their life. Of course, you know, there's storylines and drama and nonsense, like any other reality show. Mm-hmm. But what I think I like the most about it and what I want to, people to take away from this is that the stereotype of what a Mexican is, is so wrong in the United States. So yeah. wrong. Yeah. And I say that because shout out to my Mexicans. I love you guys. And I have a lot of really close friends that are Mexican in California. And they have been such a great exposure to the other side for me that I, I, I love to share that with people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, especially with the media and everything that we've been watching and we have this really, really, really unrealistic interpretation of what Mexicans are mm-hmm. and what they are for our country and where they come from and that they're all poor and they're all criminals. That, none of that is true. Like, mm-hmm. it really isn't. And, and I'm not even trying to get into that conversation. You know what I mean? I'm just yeah. saying this, that it kind of opens your eyes to a whole demographic of mexicans that are extremely extremely well off mm-hmm. and on a whole other level of well, on a, well off 
<laughs> whole nother level. are well off. Right. And like they live in this major city. You know what I mean? It's not Mexico like city. Mexico city is like a major city. So it's like, you just, I don't know. It's, it's interesting to see that. And it's, I like to see um, anyone from a Latino culture just showing that the only difference is, is that we speak a different language. That's it. Yeah. Like we all are into the same things. We all have our regular drama. We all like to dress. We all like to go out. Like it's just, we just speak a different language. Yeah. That's it. Then from, I love that. You know, I love, I'm a reality show junkie. Yeah. So I'm definitely going to tune into that one. There is also, the Bravo has a version called Mexican Dynasties. Oh, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that. And they speak, they speak Spanglish from right. the show. Uh, and which, Made in Mexico as well. They have subtitles for those of you who are afraid. Yes. Of but they, they do speak Spanglish throughout the whole show because that's how they grow up. Like they speak English and Spanish. So it's just very realistic. Yeah. So Bravo has a similar show that I just started watching. So that's interesting. I'll tune into the Netflix one. But I do love that. I mean, us as Latinos, we are aware that there's, just like America, there's different variations of classism, society, those kind of things. And that happens on all these other countries as well. Like everywhere has classism, you know, society issues, those kind of things. And now people are being exposed to this whole other side of Mexico that people didn't even know existed. Nowhere. So I love that. Um, and that's hilarious to me because I love a good spicy drama. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, the thing like, about, right. The thing about Latinos is that we're more, um, we're more, how can I say this? We're more comfortable with expression and we're more comfortable with physical touch and we're more comfortable with gratitude because we were all brought up in that type of environment. Mm-hmm. For example, what you're going to notice is that, remember, they are well off and they have like, you know, women that work in the house that are like, you know, the nannies and the, the, they, they're made, they clean, they're cooks. The way they communicate with the staff is so realistic because I know because my family has people that work for them in the Dominican Republic, not because mm-hmm. we're rich, but because just the way it is, because the world country has another conversation. Mm-hmm. So the way you communicate with the people that work in your house, you treat them with respect. Mm-hmm. you know what I mean and they sit down and they eat with you and like if it's Thanksgiving and you're having a meal you give them food too you know what I mean it's like mm-hmm. it's not like go away you work for me it's kind of like you're a part of our family because you're helping us run this world so mm-hmm. I, I think that that's awesome like we just it just shows you a side of us that is very honest like we're we're just warm people yeah and like the men are affectionate and like it's just the way we are you know what I mean I, I just I don't know. I'm just being very Latina right now. (laughs) Be all Latina that you want to be, girl. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. So definitely tuning in and checking that one out on Netflix. Mm -hmm. And that gives you a little break from all the other shit that you... Netflix is too much sometimes. Yeah. But it gives you a little break from all that. But thank you for that recommendation. Yeah, it's like the Cheesecake Factory. The menu has way too many options. Like, it's like, I don't even know what to eat. You know what I mean? So it's like... Like, I don't even want to eat no more. There's too (laughs) many. I've done that. I was like, let me go back to YouTube and just... (laughs) something yeah i'm fine because it's a lot um my recommendation this week is packing (laughs) so i recently went on a short trip for work to san francisco beautiful city by the way um and i've learned how to minimize on my packing and how to pack lighter or neater should i say um if you haven't seen the marie kodrome i believe her name is um 
which is like she's like a lifestyle guru who kind of helps everyone tidy up is the name of the show on netflix how to uh kind of store things properly kind of get rid of things and so i realized when packing this week i made outfits first and then looked at those outfits and decided if that's what i was gonna wear and literally left with three pairs of pants and like three shirts just put it in there did not overpack so suggestion for people is to kind of just lay out your clothing lay out your outfits which you know you're going to wear for what day what you're going to reuse and lightly pack and so i felt so much better so much less overwhelmed right when i like had to fly back or had to put my stuff back things like that so um a recommendation is to lay out your outfits before packing I've learned that's that. a really good one because you know how sometimes you'll you'll bring like oh just in case let me get this shirt just in case let me get the sweater just in case and then all of a sudden they at the airport they're like your bag is too heavy you need to take stuff yeah out. <laughs> exactly or like why do you have like why do you have three bags like it's just complicated or you have to figure out what you're going to stuff in the backpack that's going to be your purse so that you have only one bag that you carry it's a lot yeah i minimized all that made some outfits and that's all i took other than a whole pile of underwear in case i get stuck <laughs> oh me too i always take more underwear than necessary that is so funny oh my god always. i always, always 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 take more underwear i'm like what if i'm stranded out here like i need underwear exactly although you can always just buy a pack at the nearest target but still it's just in case i get stranded or stuck at the airport yeah right like you get stuck at the airport something happens i gotta have extra underwear i probably shower three times i'll put on the same pants right throughout the day but I will definitely have clean underwear. Right. So recommendation of how to just pack lighter is just laying out those outfits, laying out what exactly you need and putting that in there. And that was just and, great. And uh, put the underwear in your shoes, guys. Oh, mm -hmm. that way they don't, you don't lose the, you don't put, create a crease in the shoe. And then that, that takes up less space. So like if you have extra underwear, since like I do extra underwear, I put the underwear in the shoe. I never thought about that. Oh my God, that is a great suggestion. Yeah. Wow, mind blown. <laughs> I never thought about that. Yeah. She's up in here too. All yeah. right. Look at that. We left with three recommendations today. And all of it has to do with traveling internationally. You see how we do this, guys? We give you a well-rounded <laughs> episode here, okay? Oh, nice themes throughout yeah. the episode. Mm -hmm. I love that. Well, again, do you have any announcements for this week? Um, uh, well guys, as always, make sure to please follow me at my, uh, Instagram at I am Diana C underscore, um, make sure to follow my business page at show me productions on Facebook or show me productions on Instagram. I am going to continue hosting networking events for women. I have a networking event coming up on Wednesday at ball and chain here in Miami. So you could do a little dancing, a little karaoke and a little bit of getting to know the ladies. That's also international. Yeah, ball and chain. <laughs> there you go. Um, they have a lot of live salsa there, so it's like a really popular, iconic place here in Miami. But I'll see you guys there on Wednesday. Also, Startup Safari is coming up in May, and uh, it starts with the Vision series is still up and on and popping. Make sure to look that all up. All you got to do is just go to my page, and all that info is there. So please follow me at Show Me Productions on Instagram and on I am Diana C underscore. Awesome. 
And you can follow me at love, L-U-V-M-A-R-L-E-Y underscore love Marley. Um, upcoming for me, I just came back from a huge gamers conference. Y'all gamers are really out there 100% in love with your products and what you do. So shout outs to all y'all that I met out there. It was a great blast. Right now, I need rest after that long week, but up and coming things are happening. So I'll keep you guys updated on that as well. Thank the gaming you industry is uh, popping. A beast. Uh, yeah. If there's something that you have not tapped into, ladies and gents, yeah. get in, become a developer, an engineer. Get to know your software and your products. It's out there. Coins. <laughs> get yourself some coins. <laughs> yeah. And once again, thank you all for listening. Um, don't forget to reach out to us on freshmondayspod at gmail.com uh, and on Instagram as well as on Facebook and our Twitter. And we look forward to seeing you guys next Monday. 